coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen. We're talking Comic-Con trailers, The Great Wall, Chapman Toe on Hong Kong film industry, Cold War II's new box office records, an update on the Hong Kong Film Award voting system uh, proposal, and we talk about the film Bounty Hunters. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and coming to you from his news desk inside the A Hotel is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello. With, with an explosive cake, right, Paul? Yes, indeed. Yeah. And, and, and be sure you don't eat the piece of cake that has the little tiny bomb in it, right? Because uh, that would be bad. Yes. Hello, everybody. Um, if you don't uh, understand that, that, that's going to be related to the film we're going to be talking about um, this week, uh, which is indeed uh, this sort of mixed production between uh, Korea and mainland China, but also with some Hong Kong talent therein, and that is Bounty Hunters. We're going to get to that a little bit later, but uh, we've just been, you know, uh, passed by, uh, I guess it was called Typhoon Nida. And uh, normally they joke that the Li Ka-shing shield will deflect these things, especially if they're coming on a work day so that business does not get interrupted. But that did not happen this time. So we did get up to the, what is it, Category 8, with I think Category 10 being the strongest category. And it wasn't a very strong storm, but it did come through, I would say, late Monday night Hong Kong time and uh, did close work for most of the day on Tuesday. So, yeah, it's uh, just one of those things that happens now and again, not too often in Hong Kong. We don't get them quite as often as I think they get them in, like, like the Philippines and some of the other places that take the brunt of the force. But uh, No, Li Ka-shing work was, the Li Ka-shing wall was working as the best it could because, you know, people the worst, the worst possible sort of typhoon holiday is the one that starts at 6 p.m. as in the end of the workday and goes until lunchtime the next day because everyone then has to go to lunch. They don't get one morning off. The best typhoon leave is one that arrive around lunchtime and then lasts around next day lunchtime, right? That's the best kind of typhoon holiday. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, the, the, some people did actually have to rush back to work um, quite late Tuesday afternoon. My sister-in-law was, was one of those unfortunate souls who, uh, when they lifted it, I think around noon on Tuesday, she had to sort of rush out and i really feel bad for the people who are like transport workers because um you know they're the ones that have to get us going and they kind of have to be on call sitting by the television or sitting by the radio listening to wait for the observatory to to lift the signal or to lower the signal back down to three well there's and, a photo from the news um of a uh, restaurant like you know one of those um big large restaurant with dim sum for dim sum yeah yeah and they're all filled with bus drivers yeah, just, just hanging on out. call, hanging out, waiting to be called into action. So, yeah, those guys are working hard. Those yeah. guys do not have typhoon holidays. Yeah, no typhoon holidays for them and for, I guess, movie theater employees too, right? Because movie theaters tend to stay open 
no matter what. Um, yeah, 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 that's right. What I recall. But uh, we're fine. We're safe. We're still here. We're bringing you a show. I do apologize. We did not have a show last week because of some conflicting real-life scheduling issues. Um, we were planning to talk about uh, Star Trek. I guess we can make maybe make brief mention of that. Uh, good, bad, Mr. Ma? What did you think? I liked it. It was yeah. a nice little standalone Star Trek film. It's entertaining. It's fun. Yeah, it was fun. Um, I've not been a big fan of the J.J. verse myself. I would say of the three, this has been the best one so far. Um, so I, I kind of enjoyed the story. I think it did what it needed to do to stay within the confines of continuity that's been already established in the universe. Um, and I won't say much more than that because to really talk a little bit more about how that happens is to give away some spoilers for the plot, and I don't want to do that. But fun, entertaining. I really like Justin Lin's energy. He's got a different sort of sensibility than I think J.J. Abrams does, and I think that, for me, worked pretty well, though a couple of the stunts were very fast and furious <laughs> uh, f- furious, fast and furious esque, I should say, right? Um, with people like on high speed vehicles and suddenly leaping into the air and getting transported away. And I'm just thinking, I kind of saw this, I kind of saw Vin Diesel doing this in one of the movies, right? <laughs> um, but it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. And um, I think if you're a Trek fan or not, um, it's a pretty solid movie. Good, a- you know, some good action. And if you're a Trek fan, you'll enjoy it for sort of the old school sensibilities it brings. And if you're not, if you're, you know, somebody who just enjoys kind of the high, high adrenaline-ness that Justin Lin typically puts in his stuff, you'll like it equally as well. All right, that's enough for our small talk. Why don't we get on and talk about some of the news we're going to get to this week. So let me throw the ball back over to Kevin at the news desk with this week's news. Here at the news desk, I mean, honestly, I didn't, I didn't expect too many news to be talking about um, this past week, but suddenly we got a couple of, you know, last minute thing. We have the Great Wall, we have the whole Hong Kong Film Award thing. But first, let's talk about sort of what I had originally planned to talk about and um, Comic Con trailers. Uh, Paul, were you were you following uh, the Comic Con closely? Well, uh, I I want to say about a couple months ago, I had planned that they have this thing called. Uh, comic-con hq which is kind of a new channel uh streaming channel that is a spin-off like people like adam sessler and some others who i think were involved in um you know g4 tv and tech tv back in the day they've kind of started this new channel dedicated to comic-con and they had a sort of a free sign-up period and i signed up for it and then i kind of dropped it because i was never watching anything on it but i had ho- was thinking to myself at some point yeah i'm gonna watch uh, all the stuff coming out of Comic-Con this year. And um, then again, things suddenly changed a couple weeks back, and we've been really busy, and I just haven't had any time to pay attention to it. I did pick up a couple of the trailers that got mentioned in my various news feeds, um, so I have seen a couple of them. But which ones in particular did you want to focus on? Well, yeah, all I want to talk about is the trailer. So, you know, you have, what, Kong Skull Island. You have the new, uh, what was it, Doctor Strange trailer. You have the new um, Justice League, clearly DC again. I mean, after Suicide Squad reviews came out, they're definitely on, on um, um, what's the word? Sort of, um, God, I don't even know what the word here is. You know, like, not Suicide Watch, but, you know, like, like they're, all, they're all on, like, high alert now, obviously, DC. Because mm-hmm. they did the second film in the DC universe, and it's still getting terrible reviews. But, no, they were trying to sort of get back some of that goodwill with the Justice League um, trailer. I guess more footage than trailer. Um, Marvel also had a, um, 
Well, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 trailer, but they didn't show it because James Gunn says that the film isn't done yet, and that was really purely for the fans. Um, there was a couple, a few I could think of top of my head. What do you, what do you, anything else? Yeah, you know, I, I saw the Justice League footage, um, and it just was, I was kind of like, okay, you know. Um, I saw Wonder Woman trailer, which I think. Ah, oh, yeah, that's the one, yeah. yeah look, you know, could be good, um, could be just a kind of rehash of Captain America. I don't know, that, that seems to be how they're kind of pos- positioning her. Um, if it is a rehash of Captain America, then thank goodness that yeah. something they're finally taking like a, like a, 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 a something from the Marvel playbook and lighten the hell up. But no, I I, I don't really have high any expectations now for Wonder Woman. Yeah. I, I just I'm I'm not I'm the Wonder Woman that I know I'm used to being sort of thrust into the modern world, not so much the you know turn of the century, turn of the twentieth century, World War One kind of thing, and you know, I don't know. Well, it it could be great. It could just be. It still looks dark. It still looks kind of that same kind of dark grayish look that um, they've kind of cast over on the, the Superman films, and that just doesn't seem like DC to me. So um, I am interested to see what is up with uh, Suicide Squad. Um, going out to see that uh, tomorrow. So got some. I've heard mixed on that. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll come back and give a give a review of that a bit later. But uh, I didn't see Skull Island, um, but I, I heard a couple people talking about it, and I, I'm kind of excited for that because I, I, you know, that is supposedly building to a big uh, kaiju monster smackdown in a couple years. So that's right up my alley. I am. Um, going to be interested to see where that goes yeah but i'm where I'm, I'm i'm very worried that the the skull island trailer was all it's almost all signs leading to godzilla 2014 which totally did not i mean at the time at the moment oh that was pretty cool and then you think about it like um in hindsight like that movie did not have godzilla like it had godzilla but he was hiding in thunderclouds then you could barely see the thing, and in the trailer, they didn't show. In the Skull Island trailer, they didn't show anything of Kong. Like I know it's a teaser, but mm-hmm. come on, right? Like yeah. you know, by stop holding back. You got a monster movie. Stop being all. I don't know if it's Nolan esque or whatever. I don't know what they're doing, but just stop holding back the monster in your monster movie. <laughs> they're, they're, so, they're doing the Jaws thing, right? I guess, but so it end up like the most exciting exciting trailer I've seen. Um, since Comic-Con was the leak trailer of Rogue One <laughs> that wasn't even at Comic-Con. Hmm. That was the most exciting thing I've seen. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's... I don't know. It's, it, it, with Comic-Con, it almost seems like the hype is now pre-built into everything. So yeah. when we do finally get to sit down and, and to really take stuff in, it's almost like there's an expectation of unsatisfaction. Right. No matter what they put out, it's people are going to be unsatisfied with it in some way, shape, or form because that becomes the talking point rather than um, you know the points of satisfaction that we used to have in the old days. I guess. Well, one thing I do want to credit, give, you know, giving credit where it's due is that the studios are are finally sort of catching. I mean, last year there was a huge problem with with uh, cell phone leaks of the trailers and the halls, and this year they just responded by pretty much uploading those trailers at the same time. So, so uh, kudos to the studio for for catching up. Yeah, I think, and and this goes back to sort of the, I think, um, the Sci Fi Network was having coverage, and and again this 
Comic-Con HQ channel this, uh, that they've established, I think that they're starting to take note that, yeah, it's in their interest to really just go ahead and let this stuff out, you know, holding it just for the few hundred or the few thousand people who can make it into these rooms, you know, like the very famous Hall H or whatever. Um, it's really not doing them a, a, any great service, you know. I know they want to kind of reward the people who stand in those lines, who pay the big money for those tickets, but um, at the end of the day, they've got to get that buzz out to the rest of us and get the rest of us talking. Yeah, um, just sad that, I don't know, is this your, there wasn't any huge surprise. I guess people didn't really expect the con trailer to come out, but that was like, eh, it was okay, and yeah, I mean, it's a solid, solid batch. I mean, I, I, I'm glad that Zack Snyder and DC worked hard enough to get get that Justice League footage out. And Wonder Woman trailer looks, looks you know, suitably, appropriately cool, I suppose. But yeah, um, kind of a mixed bag, but still pretty cool to, to sort of get, yeah. get a preview of what's coming up. I mean, to, to be fair, there's nothing that I've seen that has made me say, I don't want to see it, right? I mean... True. That, that, so so everything is working to some to some level you know i'm perhaps a bit more excited about some things than others but uh, let's talk about the thing that kind of made the internet explode and i i don't know if this debate is still going on it's it's gone on in a couple of uh, channels that i follow including our very own uh love hk film facebook group and that is matt damon and this movie that is from what I understand, I mean, this is not a, a real co-production, right? This is pretty much a full-on mainland China film. It just happens to have a couple foreign actors, right? No, no, uh, this, is a, this is a full-on co-production. Oh, it's it, a is a, it is a full-on co-production. Okay. It is legendary. I'm not sure if it's legendary East or legendary, but it's legendary pictures, which is the, the company behind the Godzilla reboot, uh, Pacific Rim. Um, it's a huge Hollywood company. Um, they were behind Crimson Geek. Uh, also, yeah, so big Hollywood films. This is their production, you know, along with, with China Film Group. Um, so, yeah, Hollywood money and China money coming together. Right. So, well. I mean, the, the, the basic thing is that the um, you've got this film. It takes place in uh, some ancient dynasty in China. Uh, it's not really known from the trailer per se, but you've got footage of Matt Damon as uh, Joe Archer. Or uh, I don't know, Arrow, or uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Speedy, or somebody, uh, some famous archer, Hawkeye, maybe. Uh, he, no, he's um, playing some kind of a hero in this, where he's somehow in China, and he's defending, helping to defend the Great Wall. And at first, people were losing their mind because what? Because he's uh, again, this is white salvation, whitewashing. What? I, I, you know, um, I've I've heard multiple theories thrown out there. You know, that it's the it's the what is the the, the last samurai um, kind of thing. It's the ghost in the shell kind of thing. From what I understand, though, and please correct me if I'm wrong, this is a fantasy movie, right? This is not based on um, any real historical event. And no, it seemed like they were fighting. From the trailer, I see that they're fighting dragons, and yeah. as far as I know, you know, Mongolians didn't 
raise any dragons. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like Game of Thrones. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were not dragon riders, right? They were yeah. not. Uh, they they're, they weren't named Daenerys. So yeah, who, who um, was the Mongolian mother of dragons? <laughs> um, and and this film also has some big names like Andy Lau in it, of course, and and others. The uh, I can't remember the actor's name. Uh, but uh, the guy who played Oberon Martell in Game of Thrones, I think, is also in this. I spotted Zhang Han Yu. I know that uh, Eddie Pang's also in this. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got a couple basically Guaylo actors, you know, for lack of a better word, and a large Chinese or Asian cast, you know, from, from various walks of, of cinematic life. And people are still quite unhappy uh, because it looks like this is a Matt Damon as the white savior kind of thing, right? Do I have that right? Or is well, there another angle to this? The, the, well, the thing is, it's a teaser, right? The film is not done yet. It's a teaser. It's a minute and a half teaser. And it was made for... Because um, Hong Kong had a, its own version of the trailer. But it, the only thing different is that it's all Chinese text. So Universal was doing a global rollout on this thing, right? They can't do a minute and a half teaser with Andy Lau for a minute and a half showing to people in, people in the West, right? To us, it's like, oh, cool, Andy Lau, Crying Dragons on a Great Wall. That's great. But the thing is, they needed... A, a face, you know, a, a, a familiar face to sell the film and the teaser, and that's Matt Damon. Now, what I've read um, uh, recently is that, according to some people who read the script, is that the movie's actually kind of half-half, is that it's more like a, the, the whole fighting dragon thing is a collaborative effort between the Chinese soldiers, and 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 if this, if this is correct, in the original script, this is actually a, um, a script by the team behind The Last Samurai, by the way, uh, originally, According to that script, it was supposed they were supposed to be British soldiers who wandered into China looking for gunpowder, yeah, something. as one does. Right? Yes, historically. As, well, in a way, that, that it's kind of like Dragon Blade treatment, right? Dragon Blade supposes that Roman soldiers actually did travel to China, which, which apparently was was in some historical records that yes. that Roman soldiers you know traveled to China along the Silk Road. Um, so it's I guess it's kind of in that vein. Yeah. Um, but but Rome and Britain. A little bit far removed historically <laughs> in terms of their contact with China. And, and I, I don't I, think my assumption was because it's got the guy from uh, Game of Thrones in it. I was thinking that maybe they were like soldiers having something to do with a Marco Polo contingent or something along those lines. Um, it, I don't know. It, you know, it's as a fantasy they can do whatever they want, right? I mean, it's yeah. if it's a if it's a pure on fantasy. You know, why not? Um, if they're not, you know, simply saying this is a historical, you know, battle that they're taking liberties with. I mean, they're going to throw dragons in there. You know, they can do whatever they want, right? It's a Zhang Yimou movie. Zhang Yimou does not do historical accuracy. Come on. Have you seen Hero? Like, <laughs> do, you know, people do not dress in red dress and fly around using leaves as the weapon to, you know, the sword. And they do not bounce around water and, and fight battles in their minds, all right? It's a Zhang Yimou movie, right? Um, no, um, from, so the thing is, um, that was a, as, from the teaser, I could not hear any British accent from that Damon. So I, I'm pretty sure that whole British soldier thing has been changed. And the thing is, again, it's only a minute and a half teaser. We don't know the plot we don't know how balanced the actual final product is going to be perhaps Andy Lau and yeah it's supposed to have the biggest role among the Chinese actors even though um the other Chinese actors uh from what I've heard don't have really big roles uh, Jin Tian also is in the film by the way um 
and the thing is, you know, a lot of this is, is all commercially driven. It's not... I, I doubt that the people at Chinese Film Group told Universal that we want a Chinese lead, um, uh, get rid of Matt Damon, uh, and there was a whole negotiation. No, a Chinese film, the China Film Group people were like, we got a Hollywood actor in our movie. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. They, they take pride in... The thing is, rich people in China take pride in nabbing these these Hollywood people to be in Chinese movies. That's that's their that's what gets them off, yeah. you know. Like like when um when you had the Qingdao uh, Film Festival, um they had that little opening or whatever breaking groundbreaking ceremony. The whole showing off thing was they hired they paid tens of millions to get these Hollywood actors to show up at this this ceremony in Qingdao. That's what gets them off is that they they showed and they're showing that they have the money to bring in these people. So. I think Chinese audiences and you know Chinese audiences are equally set, excited to see Matt Damon in a Chinese movie. To be honest, um, they they're less so about Fan Bingbing being Iron Man three, but Matt Damon in in their film, hell yeah, why not? It'd be yeah, great. Yeah. So so it's not a political thing to them. They don't care about white savior, whatever, blah blah. They don't think about. It. They're just like thinking, oh, it's Matt Damon in a Chinese movie, it's Zhang Yu movie. Oh, let's see it. Yeah. Um, well, I you know. I, I'm interested to see what the end product is going to be uh, and where this controversy goes. I mean, I think it's, it's you can argue it from quite a few different points. For me, this stands out as slightly different from the ghost in the shell controversy simply by the fact that that's an established character with an established kind of, you know, race, race and heritage that they're taking liberty with. With this, it's just, you know, it's kind of an original story, so... Um, it, it feels like it should be a, a bit less problematic, but I do understand, you know, the position of, especially, you know, many in the Asian American community who simply see this as a, as a kind of slight. And, uh, I know that a couple Asian American actor, the uh, name escapes me, the, the lady, Constance Wu. Constance Wu from, um, yeah. uh, fresh off the boat came out and with, with a statement and, uh, you know, on the one hand, I, I, I get it, but on the other hand too, I would say that if, Casting a Matt Damon, you know, in in a central role gives you the ability to bring in Andy Lau and a huge cast of other Asian actors from all walks of life. Again, all you know, whether it's Hong Kong, China, or or America coming in and and getting roles, isn't that a, a positive too? Um, especially if it's going to help, you know, sell the movie to some extent. I understand that that side of the argument. It reminds me a little bit too. I mean. Has there been much outcry, you know, similar outcry for the Marco Polo Netflix series? Um, I haven't watched. Have you watched that at all, Kevin? I, I saw the first episode and it just didn't grab me. So I haven't spent much time, um, you know, going back to it. But it's something that I would like to get back to because, again, it's, you know, you've got quite a bit of um, Asian American and Asian talent in there, um, you know, doing quite a few roles. So I do want to support that kind of work. Um, but I just, it wasn't something that, you know, really held my attention. Well, that's, I mean, great and all about Marco Polo. I haven't seen Marco Polo, but I mean, it's great and all about the act, you know, Asian American actors being Marco Polo. But at the end of the day, it's, it was, it's produced by the Weinsteins who, yeah. who, you know, is infamous for doing things to Asian cinema that rather not talk about. And it's written by a Caucasian writer, right? a, 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 sino, a self-proclaimed cinephile who wrote, that really terrible script for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon 2. So, yeah, great. Great that these these Asian-American actors are getting in front of the screen. But what about, you know, people in back, behind the screen, behind the scene, you know? Um, 
why yeah the, actually the great wall script written again written by american writers um even though it was directed by a chinese chinese director um so i mean yeah it's great to talk about in front of the screen which obviously we have a, a systematic problem in hollywood that there isn't there are enough chances given to asian american actors um Donnie Yen seems to have a chance to break out with um, uh, Star Wars and Triple X coming up, but the thing is, I personally speaking, okay, personally speaking, I do not think that Asian American or Asian actors in Hollywood should just be martial artists. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, well, this is this is this is a criticism I've I've read elsewhere, and I kind of agree with. You know, it's like, okay, you're gonna have Donnie Yen in a Star Wars movie, and of course he's gonna be like. Uh, basically a kung fu monk, right? Right. And it's like, why can't he be an, an X-wing pilot? You know, where where's the girl from? Uh, you know, episode seven. You know that that X-wing pilot. We are all saying we want to see more of her, right? Um, yeah, it, I, I I do. I've heard that argument, and I kind of kind of agree with it. Although with something like, you know, Triple X, it's an action movie. You know, if <laughs> if you're gonna get in get into, you know, somebody who's known for action and put them in an action movie and then they don't do action movie, you're going to hear an outcry from fans too. It's like, why did you even put Donnie Yen in there if he's not going to be Donnie Yen? Well, sure. So so the question comes down to why is it that only action fans are calling for Asian actors to 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 go to Hollywood to be to be sort of hitting a big time in Hollywood? Why is it that we only have people expecting them to do action? You know, why can't we expect I mean, Chan Fat didn't make it not because people were racist, because he never worked out as an actor speaking in English. Let's face it, right? He never had really a great role. Um, um, I guess be- aside from the corrupt, the corrupter, right? I think that's the one, the corrupter, yeah, where he plays a dirty cop. Aside from that, they never really gave him a great role to speak to for for English language role, and that's also because Chan Fat is you don't really get Chan Fat's charm in English because it doesn't carry his his charm is best in his native language. But the thing is, what about Asian American actors? Why aren't they given opportunities to to do to diversify? Why, um, yeah, that's that's the question. And in a way, to see, and the way that that it takes the time that it takes for actors to break out in Hollywood in that really cruel system, even if we put in start putting in Asian American leads in, in, in film, it's going to take years, years and years and years before they actually become accepted as, you know, become like a something like under level Matt Damon, right? We never, I think in my lifetime it's go, I don't know if I'll ever see an Asian American actor become, you know, someone like Matt Damon. But what the biggest one we have right now is John Cho, I guess, the Asian American wise. Uh, Doing yeah. non-action roles. Well, him and, um, uh, the husband, the father on Fresh Off the Boat, whose name escapes me. Does he? Uh, does he count? He's all right. I mean, I don't see much actually. Well, he was. In, I mean, he was in, uh, of course, the what was the the Korean movie? He was uh, Kim Jong. Oh, interview. The interview. Yeah, the yeah, interview. yeah, he yeah, was yeah. in that. I mean, obviously, that's a very controversial one. But you know, he does he does get <laughs> sort of non traditional work. Uh, I sure. see him pop up and stuff, and he's a, he's pretty <clears throat> funny too. I mean, he's got he's got a good sense of humor, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there definitely needs to be uh, more stuff out there. Yeah. So so I mean, don't blame don't blame. Uh, first of all, people blame Matt Damon. I don't get it. The dude just took a job. It's like <laughs> the dude just took a job, and he thought, oh, I get to make work with Zhang Yimou, who's you know 
legendary Chinese director. Not going to go work in Beijing for a couple of months and money is ah, good. Come on. It's not about Zhang Yimou. We know it's all about Andy Lau. I mean, you got a chance to work with Andy Lau. They're going to gonna say, <laughs> I'll pay you, right? I'll, I will pay you. <laughs> But anyway, I mean, you know, stop, stop blaming the poor guy. He's an actor, you know. He works, and he's he he's given interesting roles, and he reads. Unlike unlike all of us out here, he's actually read the script. Mm, yes, so at least he knows what he's getting into. Unlike us, we don't know what what how big of a role he's gonna get, and yet we're already up in arms. I don't understand why. So so you know, um, I personally, I kind of look forward to it. Like it looks like a kind of trashy big budget monster movie um um andy with or about andy lao um it, it might be okay i mean Zhang yimou Zhang yimou kind of might be out of his debt a little depth a little bit but mm-hmm. um yeah let's let's come on let's see let's see how it goes it's gonna be we'll like be... it's gonna be like pacific rim but in ancient china right I did not like I did not like Pacific Rim, so there you go. But no, um, the film comes out in December in China and uh, February in uh, for the rest of the world. So um, yeah, let's see. We'll, we'll, we'll probably talk about the show, right, Paul? In February? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully, uh, and I'll get a chance to see it sooner rather than later. We'll definitely talk about it here. All right, uh, that's enough about the Great Wall. Let's move on to some local news with uh, Chapman Toe. So uh, this is just a, a short uh, news story that got translated over in the Passion Times. Now, Passion Times is a local kind of controversial news magazine. I don't want to get too much into the, the politics of, of, of where it is politically, but basically um, they've started translating some of their articles over into English. So I just tagged this article because I figured some of our non-Chinese speaking, non-Chinese reading listeners out there would be interested to hear uh, Chapman talk about the local industry and the idea of localism in the industry. Um, in that regard, um, Kevin, you've read the article, right? I mean, is there anything of note that you'd want to say about it? I've read the Chinese version uh, now. It's essentially covering. Um, so Chapman Toe went on the um, Hong Kong Film Blog, who was run by a fairly famous local movie blogger uh, named Ryan, um, and essentially want to talk about local cinema or the future of local cinema um it's not it was written in june 30th and the reason i didn't write about i didn't talk about it earlier is because i don't really see um much new things he's put up you know he's talking about what is the the true sort of local cinema you know these days we're talking about sort of resurgence in in um local pride right in hong kong cinema what constitutes uh, a, a true local film um, and we're going to talk about that later when we talk about Cold War, but essentially, um, he, he sort of examines the identity of local cinema. What is a true local cinema? Is, is a film that has no zero, uh, non-Hong Kong funding a true local film? But the thing is, people would call Cold War II a local film, and Cold War II has a big bulk of China money in there, right? Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of, actually a lot of films like, you know, even the film that, that, that told, Chapman Toe talks about anniversary, Patrick Kong's anniversary. That film does, you know, it's a it's a so called quote unquote local film, but it also has China money. So <clears throat> the thing is, <clears throat> what is it about? Is is the Hong Kong film industry still managed? Will it be able to sustain itself without China money these days? And I don't think so. Um, I think we've pretty much have an addiction to the China money now. Yeah. Hong Kong has an addiction to China money. 
and then it's not going to get rid of it and it's not going to quit um and it has no reason to quit you know there is, you know directors get to make their big budget money movies with big budget toys which they can't do in Hong Kong. Trey Hark is pretty much up in Beijing now. He's probably never coming back to Hong Kong. Peter Chan, same for Peter Chan. He's probably never shoot a film in Hong Kong again. John Woo, John, John was in Japan shooting in a movie with, with China, with China. So, so um, the I uh, he he sort of wants to caution you know caution people with that that local film should not be a selling point. Or it's not a sufficient selling point anymore. And I kind of agree because guess what? I've seen the Ma Fathers. And he's right. <laughs> so um, no, a local Hong Kong local film does not make it a great film. That's the thing. It's it's patriotism, um, selling patriotism as a, as a selling point, and that's something that the Koreans have done very well. Um, unfortunately, Hong Kong does not have that kind of system, nor does its audience have that kind of uh, loyalty to Hong Kong cinema, nor kind of any cinema in general. So, um. Yeah, um, so it's, it's a very pessimistic time for Hong Kong cinema. Uh, and I'm talking about pure Hong Kong cinema. Um, and he says that he want, he hopes that directors who, who have made it big in China come back to Hong Kong to make a film. And he hopes to sort of um, um, retain the young directors who have sort of grown up. Like, you know, we talk about films like the the director of Weeds on Fire, the baseball film that's coming out later this month. Uh, or the directors of three year, uh, 10 years um, hoping those guys would continue sort of uh, protect Hong Kong cinema, but the thing is, the the addiction is too great. The China money is too great. It is sucking up everything, like like Typhoonita, right? It's sucking up all the air around the region, and and um, and he has a right, and he has a reason to be pessimistic, and I don't I don't disagree with that. Well, we will post the link up on the uh, notes page, and you can uh, check it out, or just head over to Passion Times. And do a search on Google for Passion Times and Chapman Toe, and you'll find the article quite easily. Um, and as Kevin made mention, of course, Cold War II still kind of kicking butt and taking names, right? That's right. Cold War II this past weekend it has officially beaten um, You Are the Apple of My Eye to become the top grossing Chinese language film of all time in here in Hong Kong. Um, so taking back the crown from the Taiwanese. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know if that's good news. I mean, yeah. well, I'll let you well, Paul, what do you think? Well, I did, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, this did have a 3D release, right? Not in Hong Kong, no, only in no? China. Only in China? Okay. Only in China. Um, yeah, I, IMAX, it was IMAX 3D, but that was pretty much because it was a China cut. Mm-hmm. I mean, China version, yeah. Right, right. Uh, I don't know. I don't understand it, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, it's an okay <laughs> film. I, I, I'm not sure I see all the uh, fervor behind it. Exactly. Um, the thing is, it's been such a crappy uh, summer for Hollywood that Cold War Two actually isn't the worst film I've seen this summer, um, or the worst tentpole I've seen this summer, which is kind of sad because the thing is, it's such a flawed film, and the the hype or the what I know that there are a lot of people who do enjoy it and and more power to them, but I am sort of befuddled and and a bit bewildered by the taste of Hong Kong audiences. I feel like, as, a, as someone who, who still longs to create films or who still wants to become a filmmaker, I'm a bit baffled by what my hometown audience wants to see in a film. Hmm. Uh, I don't quite understand them anymore. I mean, I'm not saying that Cold War II is a terrible film, but the thing is, I feel like that record was built on hype 
and a lot of help from Broadway cinemas because they they are also owned by Edco, who dis- who produce and distribute the film. Um, and it was made possible by a lot of that that promotion push, right? They, if you were in Hong Kong, you're watching a movie at a Broadway cinema, you've been b- bombarded by those ads two months, three months going going yeah. you know, ahead of the release. So so it, it was a huge publicity publicity push, and I I am sort of guessing that by by the time they get all the China money back together and Hong Kong money, um, it might not and it might not even they might not even break even if they include the publicity costs mm. because they spent so much money promoting this film. Um, so, but you know, great. Echo now gets to claim another record. They, they had the record, or they still have the record of monster hunt in China. And, and they were, they were very keen on, I guess, getting that record in Hong Kong and, and congratulations to them. Well, at the very least we'll get a cold war three. So the story yeah. can continue, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, final bit of news. I uh, wasn't sure last week or two weeks ago. Uh, we t- did talk a little bit about the changes to the Hong Kong Film Award voting system. This being sort of the political fallout from the nomination and uh, win of ten years in the recent uh, Hong Kong Film Awards. So, Kevin, you have an update for us. That's right. A um, couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the the Hong Kong Film Awards. A couple of the um, I think one industry group that's pretty much represented by the by the businessmen, uh, namely Raymond Wong, Peter Lam, um, uh, they were trying to push for a change in the uh, second round voting system at the Hong Kong Film Awards. What they were um, hoping to do was to abolish the professional jury system that made up fifty five percent of the second round vote, whereas the um, the thirteen big guilds um, their votes total only made up of 45% of the final tally. Um, so they were pushing to make 100% of the vote go to the, the 13 unions, um, which would have opened the room for a lot of you know politicking and, and political maneuver and, and uh, a lot of bias because you know some people are loyal to certain bosses and they want certain firms to win or whatever. But luckily, um, uh, the, the meeting was held with the, the Hong Kong Film Awards Committee. They soundly rejected the offer. Uh, so they would not be abolishing the professional jury. Um, however, the committee um, is will consider some changes, like for example, changing the percentage um, of the professional lower than fifty percent, while the uh, the the thirteen guilds get an equal share, fifty percent, which is won't be a big deal. I think. Um, I guess there are going to be some compromises to please some people. Um, and as long as a compromise sort of still keeps a balance in the second round voting, um, it's not all bad because you do want the industry to participate in the Hong Kong Film Awards, and and you don't want to take such a radical move that you know all the all the big companies would take their toys and go home, right? So um, so the good news is yes, the the voting system remains the same at the Hong Kong Film Awards. Um, it's just that we're not certain whether that means no change is going to come. It seems like they're will be some changes on the horizon and hope that it won't be uh, too too much. All right. I think that's going to wrap up our news for this week. Let's take a short musical break and we'll be back to talk about this week's film, Bounty Hunters. Yoga, I'm 
Welcome back. Our film this week, Bounty Hunters, a kind of mixed co-production featuring a variety of actors, a couple from the mainland, a couple from Hong Kong, uh, directed by director Shin Terra from uh, Korea, and produced by our own Raymond Wong of Pegasus Motion, Motion Pictures, right? I think that's his production company. And the story, uh, basically a team of bounty hunters get together to track a terrorist across Asia. Uh, it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Um, the film itself, I mean, it's it's a tries to go for sort of a James Bond slash Mission Impossible kind of feel. And on some levels, it is slightly successful. On other levels, not so much. Um, I think the film itself is really trying to go for a very sort of manga-esque feel. And I would further support this fact if you go look at the sort of promo poster, not the actual movie poster, which features uh, the five sort of main actors, but the promo poster they have for this over on um, the Hong Kong Movie Database. Um, It's sort of like a silhouette done in sort of manga Esque drawn style, right? So it's not just a silhouette of the actors. It's actually kind of like hand-drawn art. And so I think that really what they're doing is trying to go for a kind of comic book feel. I don't know if this is originally a comic book property, you know, like City Hunter or or something else out of Japan or Korea possibly. Maybe that's the case. Maybe not. Maybe it's original property. Um, but basically, yeah, it's uh, you've got uh, the cast, uh, Lee Min Ho, who plays uh, Lee San, and his partner is um, played by Wallace Chung. The two of them are ex-Interpol uh, agents who've washed out for whatever reason, and now they take on um, freelance jobs as quote-unquote bounty hunters. Their paths cross with uh, Tiffany Yang, and her team, who she plays Cat, her team comprises of Karina M, who plays Swan, and Louis Fan, Fan Siu Wong, who plays uh, Bobo, who they refer to as, she refers to as Babe in the translation. I don't think that's a, an actual correct kind of translation for the nature of the relationship uh, between uh, the two characters. Kevin can uh, correct me. I think, you know, the Bobo here is supposed to be like more like you know, like it's something you would call like a, a baby, like my yeah, Bobo my, is like baby. Yeah. My what? My wife uh, calls our little one. She, you know, calls her Sue Bobo all the time. So the translation here is babe makes it seem like she, Cat, and Louis Vaughn's character, you know, have a, a more of a close knit relationship, um, where I think it's supposed to be more of a sort of like childlike relationship that you know the way that she sees him and the way that she calls him basically, but. Um, yeah, this film's a bit on the sci-fi side because the main character, Cat, she uses these kind of sci-fi-esque stun guns. So it, again, borders into this somewhat futuristic sort of James Bond spy film uh, at times. Primarily, though, it's um, a film that likes to hop locations. I guess that's part of the budgetary draw that they try and use for this. It 
pops around from Hong Kong. It's in Hong Kong very briefly. It pops over to Incheon and Korea, then over to Thailand, if I remember correctly, and um, back to, I think they're back to Korea by the end. Yeah. Um, it also, you know, makes mention of Singapore. So, so it tries to hop around Asia to capitalize on a few location shots at times. Uh, but a lot of it is very self-contained with, you know, sort of the actors playing off each other in cars and in, and in small rooms. There are some, there are a couple action pieces um, that are actually pretty well done. I mean, you can tell there's some money behind this, but it's not a huge sort of summer blockbuster kind of budget. But most of it is pretty just cliched, um, you know, sort of very typical kind of spy device cliches that we've seen it tries to be very tongue-in-cheek for the most part um you know you have the characters using these stun weapons rather than choosing to shoot people um almost as if they're kind of marketing this at a somewhat younger audience maybe i don't know it, it, it's a bit weird because again it's trying to go for almost a comic book feel and it's got comic book-esque kind of violence to the point where it borders slapstick at some at some points um the 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 overall plot too kind of just doesn't really make sense um once you figure out once they uncover who this villain is the who's this terrorist who's basically blowing up um all these hotels they're all in the same chain known as the a hotel and you would think that once they kind of figure out this pattern that, you know, security would be ramped up and, you know, uh, larger powers that be would be taking notice rather than just this sort of freelance team of, of five people. Um, but, yeah, it never really <coughs> takes, itself, it takes itself too seriously. Um, you have, uh, let's see, Jeremy Zhu who comes in to play the villain here, if I have that right. Yeah, Jimmy Shu. Um, and, you know, he's been in things like uh, Kung Fu Angels and uh, Paris Holiday um, as some of his more recent credits. And he um, he kind of goes for that sort of over-the-top, cackling, laughing, um, manga-esque style Japanese villainy, I would say. Uh, kind of is okay for the most part, but at other times he just comes across as kind of like a uh, almost like a Paris Hilton esque. If, if it's like if Paris Hilton suddenly became a supervillain, you know, it's it's almost unbelievable. You know, it's it's so it's so cartoony in, in some ways. So I think it's a film that may not work on a lot of levels for a lot of people because the action's okay, but it's no great shakes. Um, the the a lot of the overall story is just cliched. Um, the only real big draw for me, the only thing that really kind of made me stick with the film for the most part was Louis Fon. Uh, he was the best part of the film for me. He plays a little bit against type here, and I actually wanted to see more of that than anything else. Um, and you, I mean, here's here. We were talking about this kind of earlier, right? Where, you know, you get somebody who's kind of known for action and then you don't get them to do action. And he has a bit of action, you know, but primarily it's, you know, they, they restrain him from doing any of that. And he gets, uh, you know, something, a, a kind of role that's almost more like an Alfred than anything else. 
and it was not what I was expecting. You know, I kept expecting, um, you know, him to go sort of full on Fancy Wong at, at certain points, and, and he never really does. And and I appreciated that sort of stylistic choice by the end. And some of the outfits that he wears um, are also quite quite amusing uh, in, in the film. And so for me, that was kind of a, a big draw as, as a fan of uh, Louis Vuitton. Um, I liked seeing what they did with him. So, uh, but overall, I, yeah, this is not, I, you know, th- this is a film that again, they're trying to span with a multi-cast, m- multi-regional kind of narrative to attract as large an Asian audience as possible. And so they go for the dub, the post dub. Everybody is post dubbed, though I do give kudos to people like Karina M mm, because it really sounded like she did her own post dub work. But I just, again, we get back to this idea of why can't they just do like what they did in, um, uh, what was it, Helios, right? And just let the actors act, you know, let them act in sync sound. And, and you know, we, we, we let's, just, let's just assume they understand each other. I mean, I'd rather hear that, you know, real sound than the canned sort of sound that's done after the fact and not done very well. I mean, it's not a lot of good lip matching in some of the scenes and um it kind of takes me out the, out of the movie at some points uh but kevin is gonna talk a little bit more about the, per, perhaps the mandarin dub because what we got here in hong kong was the cantonese dub um uh, of of the version so i don't I, he he's we talked a little bit before and uh i don't think the mandarin dub is sync either but um you know apparently it might be a more interesting dub to hear than perhaps the cantonese version so let me throw the ball over to Kevin and uh, let him talk about his thoughts on Bounty Hunters. <laughs> no, it, it's just the thing is, I mean, anyone who's seen really dumb Korean action movies, and there are very, very dumb Korean action movies, um, should probably expect what to see in, in Bounty Hunters. is pretty much the same. I mean, production value is fine. Um, it, it clearly, there, I've heard that including publicity, there was they, the company's, Altogether, invested about thirty-five million U.S. dollars into this, um, which is a pretty big budget for an Asian film. It's a huge budget for an Asian film, actually, um, and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a budget that they have not recouped in in, in China, um, all because they they were banking on Lee Min Ho, who is this you know huge Korean star from the Airs and Gunnam Gunnam Blues and whatever. And by the end of by the end of the film, I was telling um, my people I watched it, I said I think Lee Min Ho is allergic to good movies. I think um, because this is just utterly ridiculous, um, you know, silly, borderline, borderline dumb uh, sort of action romp that has no sort of sense of logic, no taste, no uh, acting. I mean, Lee Min Ho is it's Lee Min Ho. Um, Wallace Chung is trying so hard to be to be comic relief, but it's not a very funny person. And Karina mm, is, you know, just a psychic. And Tiffany Yang, the, the, the female star, just has this really smug face. There's just such an unlikable presence. And um, on screen, I just, I, I, you know, how could she be? You know, she's just not a sympathetic character for some reason. And 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 how could these people? These bounty hunters. I mean, have you do these people even know what bounties hunter to do? <laughs> like bounties hunters do do not have like villas on Jeju Island or you know 
private planes and and electric stun guns, you know, that, that like you said, borderline on sci-fi world. And if I may point out one specific plot point, remember at one point, there's a sequence where one of the characters has a bomb strap to his or her neck, and the bad guy um, keeps chasing them to, to set it off, right, because they have to be in range. And and there's this long car chase, but the thing is, I'm, I'm when I'm watching it, I know it's it's on Jeju Island, so I'm like, this is an island. <laughs> She's not going anywhere. Like these people aren't going anywhere. You guys have they even have a GPS tracking system of where that bomb is. It's not like you know, it's just the kind of thing. Or or there's the one where the villain um, uh, takes on one of the characters. Um, and plays a game and says you have to like retrieve the antidote in twenty minutes or, or you're gonna die, whatever. Not knowing that there are two other two, two good guys are outside like waiting, like just complete utter like nonsense, right? Even the the act the, the characters don't really have any logic whatsoever. Like how do we even make it as bounty hunters or how's a bad guy even have this diabolical plan where he doesn't even think about these basic you know logic problems. Um, it's just really dreadful movie, and yeah, and, and can we talk a little bit about the the very end, right? I mean, like the very very end of this, as they uh, the, the, there's kind of an end scene, but like right before they get there, it's almost like um, an action montage from a '90s TV show, right? Because it's just like a montage of footage of the characters from different points in the movie. And I'm thinking, this is like from Knight Rider or or <laughs> some, you know, or like Miami Vice or something. It, it was really structured like that. And it didn't add anything to the film. It was just like, you know, this is this is the end of the film, but this is what you would see if this was actually a TV show, right? And this would be the start montage of the TV show when the credits were coming up. Um, it was really weird. I, I don't know. No, I, I agree. Um, and and it's just really outdated. The thing is, it was clearly just it was such a a a explicit like exploitative not exploitative, but it's such a gratuitous cash grab by Pegasus and by the Chinese companies to try and cash in on having this really popular Korean guy and just grab all the money they can from from his fans who would just you know rush to watch this in the first week. They don't even care about word of mouth. They're just just trying to make a cash grab and try to deliver what you know it's like an 80s hong kong movie it's like these people never moved on from the 80s and 90s and actually shin Terra, the director he has that kind of history back in korea as well um so it's just these people just making a cash grab of a movie um and the thing is although i do give credit we talk about mandarin dub right the the cantonese dub has karina the only person who speaks in her uh who dubs her own character back to cantonese because she's the well even Wallace Chung, who is from Hong Kong, did not dub back his own role in Cantonese, which is very odd. Because uh, I spoke to someone who did watch the China version, and she said that even uh, Wallace Chung came back and dubbed his own Mandarin. And even Lee Min Ho, a Korean actor who does not speak Mandarin, um, actually dubbed his own Mandarin dialogue in the film. Um, there was a lot of talk, a lot of rumor, a lot of gossip that actually Lee Min Ho refused refuse 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 to do any mandarin acting um because uh something about speaking mandarin would would affect his acting um there wasn't much acting by the way um but but uh apparently the producer uh was absolutely adamant 
that Lee Minho does his own Mandarin dubbing. And I think uh, in China, absolutely adamant means more and more money. So um, <laughs> I hope they pay him a lot of extra to dub his own Mandarin. Uh, but yeah, if you watch the Mandarin version, you will hear Lee Minho Oppa speak in uh, Mandarin, um, which I guess would be more interesting than what we got to hear in the Cantonese version. Mm, indeed. Uh, thoughts on Fan Ziwang? No thoughts. I mean, it's <laughs> fine. I mean, he's a psychic. He was amusing. But yeah. yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, yeah. It's I think they weren't really sure at times whether they wanted to go more for action or more for comedy. Um, and I think a big, big that... part of it is it just doesn't find it doesn't seem to find its balance between the two. But it's that whole that's the whole eighties nineties Hong Kong movie, and I'm not talking about the good ones. Right, I'm talking about the throwaway throwaway cheap mid-budget action comedies that we had plenty of back in back in the days right mm. it is one of those and clearly again a cash grab something that they make really quickly and thrown to theaters except this one cost cost a ton of money yeah. um but it's that same spirit just like make a cash grab just throw in throw in everything that that it's like you know they have a formula um you ever heard of that that software that apparently automatically writes scripts yeah yeah and then and they turned and then you know came out and this really crappy sci-fi movie came out that makes absolutely no sense. I don't even heard that project. I've I've heard of similar projects. Right, right, right. So, so it, it's like they took the they almost feel like they have this '80s '90s formula of what audiences like to see, and just throw it all in there, and don't really care about what makes sense and what don't. Um, and and that's that came out Bounty Hunter. The thing is, that's '90s, man. We're beyond that now. We're looking for storytelling and. And good acting and, and themes. And even if you're doing comedy, it has to at least be funny. And this movie was not funny. So, so you know, we're, we, audiences are more sophisticated now. It's the filmmakers who, you know, the Hong Kong filmmakers. I know, I know a couple of shows ago I said that Hong Kong cinema does not deserve to live, blah, 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 blah. And it's because these people who still stuck in the 90s and who have not involved, who have not evolved with cinema and storytelling and its audiences, they're, you know, they're killing the, the the film industry so and bounty hunters as as harmless as a seem is the very epitome of that attitude you're listening to the east screen west screen podcast visit comcast.com for more You have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us at our website. That is kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. You can follow us over on Twitter. That is at kongcast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can catch us over on Facebook at East S West S. Uh, please urge you to also follow along with Kevin and the things that he is doing. Um, you know, whether he's doing freelance work or the stuff that he's doing when he travels out and about. So, Kevin, where can they find out more about what's up with you? Hey, it's August. So the uh, latest um, issue of Discovery Magazine should be up now. Um, you can see my writing in the entertainment section. Um, I write about, honestly, I can't quite 
remember at the moment. I think it's either the lobster or uh, something else. Anyway, I have an article in there, and um, and so does um, and other. I've also edited the TV listings um, and the movie listings, and you know, my TV reviews and stuff like that. All, all, all in the Discovery um, magazine uh, now available on Cathay Pacific flights, and also Sigro magazine uh, available on Dragon Air flights. Uh, you can also get the um, I- Discovery Magazine iPad app uh, on the iPad App Store. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. You can also contact me uh, by email. I'm at the Golden Rock at gmail dot com. That's the Golden Rock at gmail dot com. All right. So uh, next episode one ninety nine. Um, we may have a couple guest spots coming up. I'm in contact with uh, a couple people to possibly come on and do a few guest reviews um we do we have what do we have locally coming out do we've got um girl in the girl of the big house i think that's starting this week right that's Wong Jing movie yeah Wong Jing production um, miriam um, young and uh you know sort of a cat it looks like a category one kids movie more than anything right um, yes produced by Wong Jing, believe yeah. it or not um, um, we've got uh league of gods which is out there it's um uh I hope to get more and talk more on that on a coming episode um kevin mentioned weeds on fire we've also got uh i think there's a lewis Koo in um, a couple movies right he's got we've got call of heroes coming up we've got uh line walker line walker um the movie as the, the, the title says and uh some other stuff coming as well what, what is the the, the the news thing um, the menu the menu right they're promoting the heck out of that thing um so yeah quite a bit of stuff on the plate um so we're going to be having some of those also perhaps i'm going to be doing something a little bit different for episode 200 which will be two shows from now um i'm still trying to get that worked out and arranged but uh we'll have all of that and more on our next show until then this is the east screen west screen podcast saying we wish you good viewing as always and we'll see you next time see you next time everybody